1: Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott.
0: Welcome to another week of Real Personal Finance.
1: Thank you. Excited to be here. Yes, me too.
0: And Real Personal Finance Nation. The nation. So excited that that's here and running and people are on it. And uh, taking that next step, not only listening about your finances, but now you can follow along your own journey, your own story, know your own numbers. If you want to learn more about that, go to realpersonalfinance.co and hit The Nation.
1: The Nation. Do that. Check us out on YouTube, Real Personal Finance. Easy enough. Yeah. Leave a review. And at that point, you'll be, uh, you'll check all the boxes of things you can do with real personal finance, which is a lot.
0: Totally. One is about helping yourself. Two is about helping others, right? Your social capital of a five-star review or leaving a review lets people know they should pay attention to us because you feel that way. And we are forever grateful that you feel that way. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do we got today? Today, we have a question from Luke. Luke writes in that my wife and I enjoy doing... Live, uh, sorry, sorry. My <laughs> blah 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 blah. Me and my wife enjoy doing li- live and flip. Live. live. Oh, so I <laughs> that's my problem. There we go. Like, we Live and flip music. rentals and are planning on the cash flow to be part of our own retirement funds. We're planning to move in a year and would like to pick up a third house to add to the portfolio when we do. How would you run the numbers to see if it's a safe investment for us, ensure we're not taking too much risk uh, to expand?
1: Yeah. Thanks, Luke. Thank you, Luke. And I think the the first thing that we do, the, let's take a step back with real estate. You hear all kinds of things about real estate. There's the the return on investment, there's the leverage you're used in, there's a the tax benefit. There's all these things that when you're looking at real estate on paper, you're trying to calculate what's called an IRR most times, an internal rate of return. The only thing that's really relevant to you when you are looking to use this as a retirement investment is the cash flow you can expect from it. And, yeah. and cash flow can come from a few ways, the most common of which is just rental income. Yeah. Obviously, you could ultimately sell the property, which is some form of cash infusion. You could refinance the property, which is some sort of cash infusion. But to us, I think what we would focus on is that first thing of if you're going to make an investment, what are the series of cash flows you can expect from that that will ultimately be helping you to support your expenses in retirement?
0: Yes. And the thing that we worry about along the way is do you have the cash flow to support what could be a future flip? Uh, Because you have to make sure you can stay solvent or in business. While you're going through that flip, yep. in order to be okay, so you need to have a good reserve of funds ready and available for
1: you. You do, and I want to make sure because you know with with Luke's question, there's different ways you can do flips. And so for people listening, I think typically we think of a flip as you you buy a property that's maybe not in the best condition. You pour a bunch of time and investment into it with the expectation of selling that at a right. profit. Right. Right. If you're dependent upon that, that's kind of risky because what you're counting on is that you can buy something, which requires an investment and you have to put money into it, which is another investment. There's the cost of borrowing, which is more cash outflow. You have no idea what's going to happen in the housing market in short order and short market here. And so there's risk there. What if this thing's worth less than all the money you put into it? Well, that's, that's really a big risk. This is also Agreed. a flip, but I think what they're talking about is buy something, live in it, turn it into a rental, and then move on and kind of continue acquiring rental properties. So th- th- there are some risks. Um, there's some benefits, and we'll talk about these, but just want to make sure we're on the same page with listeners of the particular flip that we're talking about here isn't the traditional fixer-upper, buy a home, like it's a TV show, fix it, sell it, and and move yep. on.
0: You know that Listen. what you just described though I hope people under uh, listening get it the reason there's a reward to the amount of risk someone's taking on that flip is because the the risk is immense like yeah you, you know on the show they show oh all you have to do is go find the home the least expensive rattiest home in the nicest neighborhood flip it and you'll make a big profit and it's like, well, no, that's not how it always works. That's the way the show shows that it goes. But to your point, there's so many things that can go wrong along the way that can eat away at that profit. And then your time and your energy doesn't really reward you very much for that. Well, so, and the other
1: cost that we have to think about to add on to that is when we're not against doing that, we're just against the, almost like the glorification of that as if it's just the glorification. Like a hundred exactly. percent guarantee that you're going to make money is it takes a lot of your time. So Scott, if you're yes. doing this... I'm not just looking at what's your initial investment to go in. Plus, what are you paying contractors? Plus, what are you paying on mortgage interest carrying costs? I'm also looking at your hourly rate. How many hours are you putting into this? I'm looking at my,
0: yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm looking at my Saturdays, not with my kids Mm -hmm. or my weeknights, not with my wife, right? Because all of a sudden I took on this big project that has to have attention paid to it. And that means I don't pay attention to other things in my life.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so if, and, and you don't have to be that involved, it just means you're paying more to other people who are doing the involvement and you're hoping that obviously no mistakes are made. So I just, we just want to be clear, make sure you're looking at things accurately is all we tell people to do. If yeah. you understand the total costs and the total potential gain and you move forward with it, awesome. Just don't move forward with it because all we see is the gain, but don't fully understand the cost involved with it. Because if you don't, there's no way to really tell to a good investment.
0: So good, such a good frame, man. It's not just about risk and return. It's about risk return and cost and cost. Isn't just the money you put in or the money you could lose. It's also the time and energy that you put in that you could otherwise use in other parts
1: of your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for us, and again, I mentioned the beginning, you start, it's so easy to find people telling you how to do real estate. I mean, you can, you can, Google it and find a There's million dollars. Way articles. more
0: websites and and
1: like podcasts about that than there are about like just holistic financial planning. Yeah. I mean, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, everything has it. Um they talk about that, not all I say they as if it's a person. Everyone's different, but they they often overcomplicate it. I think to us, the way we'd want to look at it at the beginning is just. Is this something that will generate cash flow that will be additive to your plan as opposed to being a, a money suck for your plan and drain, totally. money drain your
0: plan? That's number one, right? It's just simply, and, and in all honesty, you can look at it through the lens. If you're going for a long term play here, which it sounds like Luke is, you don't have to build in financing costs on the front end to ask this cash flow question. But, Event, you do need to understand that as a part of the cash flow question. And what yeah. I mean by that is, The thing that we would want to care, we would, that James and I would care about is what we call net operating income. And so we would just want to know, Luke, you've turned this thing into a rental tomorrow. What's your annual, like, what's your annual rent that you're going to get from this place? Maybe you assume you get 11 months instead of 12. And then you reduce all of the expenses that, you know, you have to pay, not including financing costs. So not worrying about the mortgage, what are you going to pay in property taxes and insurance and upkeep of the property, which people fail to remember. You need to have some dollar amount budgeted just to keep up with the property because buildings really are liabilities that masquerade as assets. They are an amazing way to make money in the long run, but they can cost you a boatload along the way, especially if you're not prepared. So you kind of have to have some money set aside for that. If you have HOA fees, those need to be built in. If you're going to pay a property manager to manage the property, that needs to be built in. So then it's the rents, ideally eleven of them, minus all of those expenses gets me net operating income. Let's just say that the number was going to be two thousand a month, and there's going to be five hundred bucks a month. So I'm going to get fifteen hundred. So that'd be eighteen grand I would make. And maybe this property's worth, I don't know. What do you want to say? Three hundred grand, something like that. Like, I'm just going to, we're just making up numbers out of the air. But if that's the case, 18,000 divided by 300,000, my purchase price is a 6% rate of return. That's a net operating income of 6% divided by the purchase price. That's called a cap rate, capitalization rate, not including financing. How much is it? How much cash flow do I get from this property? Yep. So that'd be the lens through which we'd look. And then on top of that, you could add an appreciation amount probably around inflation not inflation this year but long term inflation probably around that 3% maybe 4% if you live in a really desired area
1: mm-hmm. so
0: a property like that i would think could return somewhere around
1: 9 to 10% mm-hmm. but the cash flow will be 6 the cash flow will be 6 and i think what people need to know is that the the cap rate is 6 but that doesn't guarantee you're not getting 6% it depends upon what are those financing costs and what are you coming to the property with as a down payment. That's the like,
0: next component, right? That's really matters. Cause to your point, we could, we on paper, this could look, Hey, this looks like a good deal. But then, you know, right now interest rates are around 6%. So what did I say we get 18? I said, we get 1500 bucks. I'm to- totally made up numbers for this, right? This is not mm-hmm. real, but let's just say you do, um, let's see 300 K times 0.75. So 225,000 would be the loan. I'm just doing quick math. 225, and let's say it's a 6.25% mortgage for 30 years. That's way off. I'll do my math again.
1: <laughs> and while you're doing this, I'll just I'll explain it again as people are listening. The cap rate is if you had that property, this home, all cash, what net income could you expect from it? Yeah, That's the the cap rate. You're typically not, though in buying all cash you're also you're, you're typically using a mortgage to finance this and so that mortgage is going to eat into the cap rate. Right now it's also going to amplify some of the returns via leverage but when you actually look at what cash flow can you expect we do have to start to back out that mortgage payment because the bank's going to pay before you're taking home whatever's left as your cash flow
0: now I forgot that they're buying this house as a primary residence first, so that I actually yes, need to change need my. Time. I need to change my number a little because they'll put twenty percent down, so they they'd put down they'd have a two hundred forty thousand dollar loan in this example, and I'm just going to say it'd be at six and a quarter because that's around where rates are today. So their payment month mortgage payment would be fourteen seventy eight a month. I'm rounding. Right. Yeah. 1478 a month. And their cash flow for the property before financing was fifteen hundred a month.
1: Yeah. So, so they're basically breaking even. They're they're breaking even on this pro- And again, we're making up numbers. Do this analysis wherever you're doing this, you're getting this property because rents will likely be different or property values will likely be different. But as you look at it, and to go back to the question, how do we tie this into our retirement plan? Well, it depends on what retirement is. If retirement's, let's say, in 30 years, well, great. The mortgage gets paid off and now you get all of that cash though. Right. If retirement's next year, you have this asset, but it's not really doing much for you until rents start to gradually go up and start to exceed that mortgage payment or until you sell it or do something with it and, and realize the equity in the property.
0: Here's the thing I'd want to be really careful about. If I would want to pay a lot of attention to that capitalization rate and how you calculate that and make sure you're getting a good cap rate on any property that you want to have as a cash flow property for you in the future. And the reason why is because for the last 40 plus years, we've kind of been in a market that's not normal when you look at the historical averages for real estate. So going back as far as we had data, until the early 80s, homes basically just appreciated with inflation and didn't have much return above it. They just didn't. And then coming out of the early 80s, we had interest rates in the high teens. And so every time, James, like you or anyone, or especially our parents, they'd buy a house, they'd live in it for a while, they'd pay it down a little bit, get a little more equity in their house, but all housing prices were going up a bit. There were dips, of course, along the way, but generally speaking, housing prices typically went up, incomes rose, and interest rates went down. And so every time someone walked back to the lender to say, hey, I want to go get a new home, they were told, hey, you can get a bigger loan and it will cost you about the same or maybe even less because interest rates kept going down. And now we're in a pay, a place where interest rates finally went off of the lows, which were around like what two and a quarter, two and a half, and now we're back up to these six percent ranges, which is probably considered normalized if you look at longer term data. Well, like just think of it this way: that two hundred and forty thousand dollar loan, if they'd had the property, I'm going to say two point two five. If they'd had the property in January of last year, sorry, I got to catch up on my math. I'm a little slow sometimes, guys. 2.25 divided by 12, zero. That that payment would have been $860, but now it's almost $1,500. Yeah. And so what I'm getting at is, if you think you're going to now just think of it, that's what I'm saying is the payment changed because the interest rate changed, but the interest rate changed for everyone. So the cost of owning the home went up for everyone. And so the only way peop, more and more people are willing to come and borrow for this house, like basically math is math. So prices have to get stable or come down in order for the market to be healthy in the future because you're getting into markets like, Southern California where home prices now are unattainable for even people in the top like 5% of income. You can't afford to buy a house here anymore. That can't that can't last forever. Right? So my my the point I'm making is and let me know if you feel differently, house prices if interest rates stay at the way, way they are compared to what they were a year ago, housing prices are going to have to soften or come down. Because math is just math. Because lending is only exa- is only extended upon specific rules, and those rules didn't change. So the only way that that changes, you know, if if you could only afford an eight hundred sixty thousand an eight hundred sixty dollar a month payment for a rental that you wanted to buy, and you could have bought the two hundred forty thousand dollar loan with the three hundred thousand dollar property, right, sixty thousand down. Well, if if eight sixty is your max payment and we bring it up to seven and six and a quarter for an interest rate, instead of you getting $240,000 of loan, the bank will now only extend you $140,000 of loan.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I know that's kind of a complex topic to explain, but I just want to explain it because I want Luke to be careful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does
0: that and make sense? I think sense? being
1: careful, when you go back to his question of... Um, Yes. how do we see if this is a safe investment for us? Well, at the end of the day, declining home values, if you've locked in a mortgage that you can afford, and if you have, let's assume, some renters that can pay rent, declining home values aren't a huge risk if you're looking to flip this into a rental. If you're looking to flip this and sell it in a year or two, yeah. that is a big risk because as Scott's mentioning, they're back there could be that downturn that doesn't happen frequently in housing, but it absolutely does happen. So what can you do? Make sure that before you do this, you've run the numbers. And again, the numbers we're looking at is understand when we say cash flow, all we mean is income and expenses. So income, what's the gross income you could expect to achieve on this property? Now, if there's any type of property manager, back that out from the income. So what income are you actually receiving? then understand the expenses which is going to be the principal and interest portion of your mortgage it's going to be property taxes it's going to be insurance it's going to be potential hoa fees it's going to be the maintenance costs on that property which are hard to estimate but sometimes you can ballpark as one percent of home value is a simple place to start and then vacancy we're assuming is an expense so we got to assume that this isn't rented literally 12 months out of every single year There might be some turnover, and that's going to be a cost to you. So if you look at your income after any potential property manager, and if you look at all those expenses, and if there's some net cash flow to you, that's how this fits into your retirement plan. The equity is an asset, the equity of the home, so being the difference between the value and the mortgage, um, there's the risk that equity compresses if housing prices compress, there's also the potential that that equity value grows over time as housing values grow and you pay down the mortgage. But in, your, in, in the context of retirement, that equity, I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but it's not something that you just tap into freely like you would cash savings or an investment account. It's something you really only have access to if you sell or if you somehow refinance uh, your property, which is why we're so concerned about making sure the cash flow numbers work out for you because then you can weather the storm of declining equity values or rising equity values. It really doesn't as as big of a difference to you.
0: And that's, again, that's where that cap rate number matters because the cap rate is just saying, here's my rents minus my property taxes, my insurance, my HOA fee. If I pay them my maintenance, my vacancy, right? Yep. Um, Property manager, if you pay one, then you know, what's, what's my rate of return on cash. What do I think it's going to be because it's never going to be those things perfectly. you're just trying to get a guesstimate to make sure there's oh. enough room for you that you're going to be okay. and then once you include your your principal and interest on the mortgage again, how's your cash flow working out? Are you okay? because if those things work well for you, real estate can be a great investment. but if you don't have a good cap rate and you're just you're just banking on the fact that you're going to get appreciation, my point that I was making earlier is just you might be let down mm-hmm. because math is math. And everyone who shows up to get a mor- get a home for the most part has a mortgage on it, uses mm-hmm. leverage. And there's a system of rules that have to apply for people who use mortgages. And those rules aren't changing. So until those rules change, the math is kind of speaking for itself that it's going to be very hard for home prices to go up from here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah and the other side of that is that it's getting people to sell a home when it's an illiquid investment the pr- the softness of price declines it's not instantaneous like the stock market where there's an information processing machine with hundreds of thousands of people trading the same thing all the time and prices get set pretty quickly on changes. here you have emotional decisions of I'm the owner of the home and I think my home's worth you know a million dollars, not seven hundred thousand. So I, it takes me eighteen to twenty four months to come to that realization versus instantaneously coming to that decision.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We can't. No one's going to debate um, what they should be paying for Apple today. Should the stock price is the stock price, but someone's home, it's it's much more subjective. Absolutely. Well, cool. Anything else, Scott? You don't want to add to this?
0: No. Just um, I'm I'm rooting for Luke to find the right property and build a portfolio for himself. I guess my thing would be if, if he has an element scorecard, we didn't get one for, the, for Luke today, but I'd be interested to know how much liquidity does Luke and his spouse have? Um, how much do they have in qualified retirement accounts? How much do they have in real estate? Because I'm I'm all for having real estate, but I also would be weary to have everything, everything built up in real estate with virtually no liquidity. And then something bad happens. You know, I I just always worry about the worst case scenario and I want to make people survive worst case scenarios.
1: Yeah. Liquidity helps that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Luke, thank you for the question. Hope this was helpful. Scott, thank you as always for the sage advice. And we'll see you next time. You as well. (laughs) See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co, and there'll be a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.